Hey, what's up? It's Mathis. I get a lot of people saying, hey, why don't you call that guy and do a podcast with that guy or this guy? And chances are I've already done it. I've been pumping up the uh, classics on, on our shows lately, and, and it's been working. We get some downloads. People seem to be enjoying it. But we thought we would take a few, maybe a few dozen, and re-release them on the current feed so people who have just discovered the shows can go back and listen to some greats that we've already done over the years. And why bother re-recording them? Their originals are good, and there's lots to be learned from them. So we're going to start off with Ron Lachine. And by the way, I'm not sure what's up with the buzzing early on in my intro and outro. Uh, I clearly was still trying to figure out my audio perfection at this point. And uh, so it's rough, but excuse that. But yeah, Ronnie's a great guy. We're trying to get him in the Hall of Fame. And I thought about doing another pod with him, a career pod. But I think we'll wait and see if he gets elected to the AMA Hall of Fame. Maybe that's the time to do it. Uh, he's a good guy, works at Maxima, former 125 national champion, does nations champion. He's been through some stuff that he gets into this podcast, and he's just a legend. That's it. He's, he's the legend. Uh, Ronnie Lachine. So hope you enjoy this. We're going to just put up some shows here and there, classics and things like that. And also, too, because I have better equipment now, better software, these are going to be remixed. So they might actually sound a little bit better from when they did when I first put them out, which I had about... Maybe not including the software, about $40 in equipment, and now I have about $10,000, so perhaps now they sound a little bit better. But here we go. Listen to this one, Ron Machine, and like I said, we're going to keep putting these up and uh, keep doing them with some old ones uh, and some classics, and we appreciate you listening. Check, Keep an eye open for some more coming down the line. Thanks, everybody. Brought to you by Fly Racing and also uh, Race Tech Suspension and Michelin Starcross 5. They're on board with these pods as of 2017. And, uh, oh, there's going to be some ones, too, that when I was at the other place called Schmanch World, but we're just going to leave them in. You're going to get the whole raw audio as it was in the classics. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please enjoy Ron Lachine. out in computer land welcome to the racer x canada podcast brought to you by the fine folks at shift racing canada you can check them out on the web at shiftracing.ca where you can enter for a chance to be in their next ad campaign with brock hepler it'll just be you and him in the back of a limo with some playboy playmates all right i just made that last part up but check out the website anyways if any of you have listened to the last podcast i did uh with jason wygant i mentioned that i wanted to do something for retro night at anaheim 2 which is this weekend coming up I accomplished my goal. In honor of everything that relates to the 80s, I spoke with none other than 1985-125 national champion, two-time motocross and nations champion, the dogger, Ron Lachine. Ronnie has been a friend of mine for a few years now. I remember in my KTM mechanic days going to this little sandwich shop by the KTM shop and one day looking over and seeing the dogger there eating a turkey on wheat and I couldn't believe it. Just in awe. There he was, five feet away from me. I've since met him and realized that he's a great guy that has really had his ups and downs and he's very honest and open about his troubles and his career as probably the most naturally talented motocross rider ever. Well, him or Jean-Michel Bale. It's between them. Let's also not forget the epic Davy Coombs interview with Ronnie in one of the early Racer X magazines. Probably the best interview I've ever read about anyone in the sport. Just a great example of somebody that's been to the mountaintop and back down again. That was a long time ago and he's back on his game and working at the company that his dad started, Maxima Oils. He uh, graciously took the time today to talk to me about a bunch of topics. He's uh, honest and open about everything, really. You'll want to stay and listen to the very end as he almost makes me tear up when he's speaking about my regular observations column. Just heart-wrenching stuff, straight out of Titanic, when Jack was holding Kate Winslet's hand and telling her that he'll never let go. Just really gets to you. Anyways, drop me a line at mathis at racerxcanada.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-S. For any future guests you guys want to see, I got to be honest, if it was up to me, I would just call up old motocrossers every day and talk to them for this podcast. But soon I'll realize that I won't be getting uh, anybody listening because I'll just be uh, fawning over all of those guys. So we'll have some current racers on 
and we'll work on that very soon, probably as early as next week. I've got a special guest for next week, and he's kind of old school, but we'll get some new school guys, I promise. I've gotten some emails and some guys at the races asking me when this podcast is going to be available as an actual podcast, because we are calling it a podcast. It's not available right now. We're working on that. Somebody smarter than I am working on that anyways, and we'll have it on iTunes, hopefully soon. That's all I can promise. Thanks for listening, and remember, all this is made possible by shiftracing.ca. Shift, the choice is yours. Well, that and the fact that I bought this incredibly neat podcasting software. So without any more talking by me, and without any further ado, I present to you the man, the myth, and the legend, Ron Lachine. Dogger. What's happening, man? What's going on? Oh, just getting getting all my rider support stuff squared away and getting ready for the throwback weekend this weekend. Yeah, I was uh, going to talk to you about that right off the bat. Retro night. <laughs> yeah. How did you do in Anaheim 86? You know, I won my heat. I'm I'm aware of that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think I had a real good uh, finish in the main. I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were around that, but... Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think I got a good start, and I'm hoping I got a top ten. But unless I, I'd have to see some results to remember. I know it, it was the greatest race of all for some, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you debuted. That was the first race for you in Kawasaki as well, right? Yeah, it was the big number two. Yeah, it. Uh, like I said, I probably was a little not quite ready. I'm yeah. more was more of the race into shape kind of guy, so it probably uh, probably was a tough race for me. Yeah, and as you're aware. The track is supposed to be exactly the same as it was that weekend. What do you remember about the track? Well, it was pretty tight, if I remember. I mean, they had some really funky sections where it was tight, and some of the whoops were just like, I mean, they're almost like straight-edge curbs. And the finish line, like, I don't know if you've watched it or anything, but um, I I actually had a copy of the race. I have had one for years, and and, uh, Berner sent me in a link to it, and I watched. And just the finish, like the whole finish line, the jumps were really peaked and real close together, so it was hard to get in and get a rhythm through them, which was only one double before the finish. And then kind of the section after the finish was kind of tough. It was like a jump onto a onto a bump and then some whoops right after it and that at, at that time that was kind of something new that we hadn't really been uh hadn't been doing in the in track design so it, it was different it was it was cool i look at it and i've seen the layout on uh the anaheim too and it, it looks i mean it's the same layout so we'll just see how the the jumps and the whoops come into play you know yeah i mean i i've watched it definitely a whole bunch and and you're right it seems like it's random bumps just laid out and you sort of like, like there's nothing like um, a section of how to do it. Almost like you could do it differently every lap. There was a tall bump, a short, a tall jump, a short jump, you know? Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, and back then, I mean, it wasn't about, the track design wasn't about, um, like, rhythm. And, you know, it was just totally different. And um, even looking at the triple, I mean, I... I was thinking about it uh, the other day, and I am almost positive that I didn't jump the triple that night. And in the race that I have on tape or on DVD, Ricky, I mean, Johnson and Bailey barely ever do it, and yeah. Ricky Ryan goes for it and just eats crap. I mean, you could see he just, like, it was all he had to do this triple. Yeah, and I'm, I, al- I'm almost dead positive yeah. that I didn't do it. And the, the reason was that the, the takeoff, I mean, there was no lip, and, it, like, you would get a run at it and you'd G out on the face, and then the, and the landing was just all peaked out. Uh, yeah, I'm almost positive I didn't do it. <laughs> kind of wish maybe you had Dirtworks back then building consistent ramps all the time, huh? Yeah, I do. I mean, I look at the tracks these days, and it is kind of cool the way they build the tracks these days. You know, maybe not as as challenging, um, you know, for some of the guys, but, you know, I, I think it makes for a better show. All right, what do you think about, t- like, today's guys on that track? Are they going to do... Are they going to put crazy sections together that you guys would have never thought of? Or what do you think is going to happen when you see James Stewart out on that track? You know, that's something I talked to Todd about um, earlier, you know, a couple months ago when he first told me about this idea. And, you know, he mentioned that there wasn't going to be a triple on the track. And, and uh, I, I mean, I knew there was those one single triple on the track. And, and I told him, you know what, if, the, if there's bumps on the track, James is going to make something into a triple. You know, there's no way you can stop that. And, uh I'm sure they'll put some stuff together. You know, I, I was there this weekend in Phoenix, and 
Uh, it was kind of cool just to see how he could uh, change it up every lap through the one rhythm section. He would either triple, double, triple, and each lap he was doing it different. And the, uh, the, these guys I was sitting with, we were just kind of marveling on how, you know, each right way. Right before the finish, right? Right before the finish. Yeah, right before yeah. the finish, man. Yeah. He either double, triple, triple, or triple, triple, double, and he mm-hmm. just and he was mixing it up like every lap he would do it different, and it was kind of cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this this weekend for sure. I'm, I'm, you know, it should be real exciting to see what exactly the guys string together. Getting back to '86, let me set the stage for you. '85, factory Honda rider won the 125 title. You almost won the Supercross title. You came down to the three-way guy, actually probably four-way battle at the final race before you you crashed out. You that to, track, that track was a yeah, piece of work. Yeah, too, I did right? my observations on that. That was really a horrible track. That was the worst <laughs> track I think they've ever had, and just was so tight and just so I don't know. Another thing, you couldn't get a rhythm going, barely even get the bikes going. I'm sure we get barely even got out of first, second gear, you know? Yeah, I think actually my award for worst track I've ever seen was 86 Phoenix, though. I don't know if mm, you can remember that. I like Phoenix 86. I look back <laughs> on that track and I like it. Okay, never mind then. Never mind. <laughs> I think we could have jumped the sand pit if, if we, you know, if even back then, I mean, there was stuff like the first Supercross I ever won. I jumped a double that nobody else jumped, and I jumped it in practice, and I hid it from everybody and didn't do it until the main event. And I did it in the main event on the first lap, and I did it every lap, and I killed him. <laughs> nice, nice. So back then, before everything was videoed and, you know what I mean, you could yeah. kind of do something to figure something out and hide it from everybody. But, boy, you can't do that stuff anymore. Yeah, no, definitely everybody's watching. So 85, you almost win the Supercross title. You win the 125 title, beating my hero, Mark Barnett. You come out in cal- big big money deal in 86. For that time, you had signed a real big contract. Yeah, it was actually a three-year, million-dollar deal. So you come out, and basically 86, you didn't do very good. You ended up with number nine. You went from number two to number nine. Mm. And um, what, what do you think the reasons were in 86 for, for your struggles? I think it was a, a, a culmination of things. I mean, mm. uh, you know, uh, probably the worst thing was just lack of training and lack of effort. You know, that year I kind of, uh, you know, I look back on it and I know what I thought in my head. Hey, I'm going to, you know, I just signed this big three-year deal. You know, I just accomplished the goal that I set for myself for my whole life, which was to win the the national title the year before. Being young and immature, I kind of, you know, I went, hey, I'm going to kick it for a year, you know. I'm just going to go out there and and, and I'm going to ride hard, but I'm not going to, you know, lay my life on the line like I had, and you know, to get to my goals, you know. Really, huh? That was a conscious decision. On that was part. a conscious decision I made that, you know, and I'm sure there was other factors in my life that made me think that, you know, hey, if I say that to myself, then I can, you know, maybe party more and I don't have to worry about training and I don't have to worry about nothing, you know. I've kind of, I'm here, I've arrived, you know. Yeah, did Roy Turner, the team manager at the time, did he get on you in 86? I mean, was it a... Not real no. bad. I mean, I, I'm sure they started to see some stuff that, you know, I w- obviously they knew I wasn't training and that, you know, the the thing with the getting arrested in Japan and so the drug issues had kind of started to come out. And, uh, you know, I just uh, – and then I got hurt at Gainesville, you know, the first outdoor 250 national. I was running pretty good. I mean, there was a group of us, Wardy, Bailey, and me, and there might have been one other guy I don't remember, and I, I went down and dislocated my shoulder for the first time. So that kind of uh, that put a damper on the on the year for me too. I mean, then you know, getting hurt and then already thinking, hey, I'm gonna just you know kind of cruise this year and you know and try to make it through without too much exhuming too much effort and uh, and so it was kind of a it was kind of a bunk year. Yeah, because if you if you look back in the record books, 1986 was like the only year in seven years that you didn't win a race. Yeah, you didn't win a national, you didn't win a supercross, and, and every other year. You could be counted on to, you know, at least win a race. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I think that has has most of to do with it. Like I said, I, I kind of, you know, my whole life was all about winning that championship. And, uh, you know, and it, and it happened. And, you know, I did it. And, you know, all this big stuff happened. And, I, I like I said, I kind of, like, sat back in my chair and went, hey, I, I made it. You know, this is it. And, uh, you know, and, and that was big money at that time. And I kind of had the, the thought of, well, I'm going to kick it for a little bit. <laughs> you know, and, and like I said, I, I think the the partying and, and the other stuff had something to do with it also, you know. The years before that, I probably could have, you know, lived on my talent alone. And the bike, too. I mean, that bike, I mean, it was nothing like, was nowhere near what I was riding the year before, you know. And it was built around kind of warty, and it was a short guy's bike. And 
you know, it took me a while to get used to that thing too, to, to really feel comfortable about jumping the jumps and, you know, and, and like I said, and the power wasn't, wasn't nowhere near them works Hondas. Well, and then also, yeah, I mean, it wasn't even going from a works Honda to a works Cowie. It was a works Honda to a production Cowie. Yeah, I actually tested the bikes that I tested before I signed the Cowie contract was like Wardy's 85, you know, works bike. So, and I had one at my house before that season started. And, and you're right, it was it was a big step down. And, and we knew it was coming, but, you know. You showed up, you were like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bummed on the bikes for sure. I mean, I, I, you know what, I had parts that I had built a bike um I don't know if you know, but in that year, I built the bike. I got some works forks from my mechanic. I got a works swing arm. I got a works shock. And I built like a pre-production or a production-based racing bike out of an 85 Honda. And Motocross Action did a big story on the bike and everything. And, uh, and you know, I was kind of doing it because of the rule change for the next year. Well, I had some parts left over when my contract ended. And somehow I ended up with some forks and a brake and some other parts. And I actually took those to Cowie, and, and uh, I wouldn't say I dumped them on the table, but I brought them to Turner, and I said, "Hey, man, this is how I, I mean, this is how a brake, a good brake works, you know. This is the stuff we had, and, and and even I rode with some forks that they had taken the like the bottoms off of the works Honda forks that I had from the year before, and put different bottoms on them, and they were really my Honda forks." just with different bottoms on them to look like Cowie forks. Did those make it on your bike or no? Yeah, that's yeah. what I raced with. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, and then, you know, so I had, and like I said, in the brake, I mean, they, you know, they took the brake and whisked it off to Japan, I think, and, you know, some of that works Honda stuff was, was so, Shortly after so that, much better. <laughs> Shortly after that, production Cowie's got a lot better brakes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which, uh, which Kawasaki was your favorite bike out of all of them? I know the... The 87 was like a razor-thin bike. My brother had one, and they, they seemed to handle really good. Mm-hmm. And then 88 went to, like, this wide bike with an, with an awesome motor. Yeah. And, um, which bike was uh, was You know, I like the 88, the 88 and 89. You know, I really liked, like, my 89 500 Kawasaki. I mean, I liked the 500 Cowies that we got going. You know, I obviously like the bike I rode to the, the Trophy to Nations win in 88. And, and, um, and yeah, even the 88... My Supercross bike was pretty good. I mean, uh, Wardy and RJ were tough that year, but you know, I was pretty much shoot in for the for the podium spot. Yeah, it was kind of around that time too, where a lot of guys were going to the upside downs, and and Cowie stuck with the conventionals, and, and they were good. I, I know that. From... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look back though and think that we were a little late on the ball on that. I mean, I didn't get him. You know, I think uh, I think RJ had him in '86, and I didn't get him on my race bikes until '89. But... And the, and when I did get him on my Supercross bike. Mm-hmm. The the first few supercrosses, the forks were flexing so bad. It, it happened in Seattle that the wheel, the brake was twisting in the front rotors, uh, in the caliper so bad it was locking the front wheel up. Mm-hmm. And that was with the upside downs, huh? Yeah, that wow. was with the upside downs in Seattle. You know, it got them big ruts, and yeah. and uh, we were having some issues. That was probably lack of me being out at the test track, <laughs> really testing the stuff, you know what I mean? Actually, uh, I did an interview with Ross Maeda not too long ago. And he mentioned that you were probably the best test rider he'd ever seen, uh, as far as the old guys. Um, And the reason he said that was because, you know, because we were laughing about it because we were like, well, did he even show up for test sessions? And we were laughing about that. But he said that Ronnie had the ability to, no matter what you changed on the bike, he could hit the same corner, the same speed, every time. No matter what was done on the bike, he never mattered to him. And, And if the setting wasn't right, he fell down. If the setting was good... He went through the corner fast, and Ross was saying that uh, that you had a really unique ability to just ride a motorcycle all the time, to- the same way all the time, no matter what was on it. As a engineer, that's what you want. You know, you want to take yeah. that that equation out of it. So, oh, that's cool. I'm 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 proud to hear that. I I tried when I was there and when I would show up. I mean, you know, obviously there was plenty of days that I did go, but there was plenty of other ones that I missed. And you know, yeah. I would try to try to you know ride the things that you know as race speed and try to give them a full 
you know, a full wallop, so we knew if it was going to last or not. But I think some of the supercross yeah. testing is where I lacked, I think. I, I mean, maybe it was because of the off-season, and, you know, and, and they would let me get away with it. So it was, I was kind of, at that time, as much as I could get away with, it was kind of almost a game, you know? Really, huh? Yeah, um, I mean, it's like how much I could get away with, and, and I would get away with it. You know? Did you ever have, like, Wardy or Turner? I mean, anybody sit you down and, like, say, hey, Ronnie, you know, you have so much talent, you have so much going for you. you know, did anybody of those guys do that? Yeah, Turner did. You know, there were times, you know, I, I, I did, I went to rehab in 87, and, and they did an intervention on me now that I'm, like, my favorite new show, Intervention. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they did an intervention on me in 80, I think it was uh, after that 86 year in the off season. Uh, they did an intervention on me, and it was, you know, Turner and John and Rita Gregory and my sister, my mom, my dad, uh, my manager at the time, which was Dave, Ste- Dave, oh, Dave Stevenson, Stevenson? Oh, okay. yeah. him, and, you know, and they kind of tricked me into going into this thing, and I remember going to the place, and I'd probably been partying the night before, and it was like a Thursday, and they showed up, my my uh, manager, Dave Stevenson, and Roy Turner showed up at, at my house, and I'm like, what the hell, you know, this isn't right, you know, normally Dave would be there every Thursday, and he showed up with Turner one day, and I went, oh, man. I'm like, what's up? And they're like, oh, we got to go see a professional negotiator. And I'm looking at him like, are you sure? And I'm like, what's this? You know, I'm like, I don't got a drug test, do I? Know. I remember vividly that you don't have a drug test, do I? And they're like, no, no, because they were just having a hell of a time trying to track me down to get me to test. You know, I'd either just get my buddies to go with me to pee in the cup or you know, I mean, I had Who was testing months. you, Cowie? Not the AMA. Cowie was testing. Cowie was, yeah. They because when I got busted in in Japan, Japan, they and I'd signed my contract. They made made it made a thing in there that if I didn't uh, test every week, it was like a five thousand dollar fine. So I mean, most of the eighty six, uh, I was I had a doctor that I I was paying that was falsifying tests for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then my mom found out about it. So then my mom called him and you know and had him you know. So I was paying this doctor to falsify the test, and my mom found out about it. Or she knew I was partying and couldn't figure out how I was getting by with the test. And uh, so she wrote him a letter, told him he was going to lose his license and this and that. And So I was getting away with it for most of that year. And at the end of the year, they came to me at that intervention and said, Hey, you know, you owe, me, you owe us 150 grand from back, you know, yep. back not testing and stuff. And if you, know, if you go into this rehab, we'll cut it in half. Or, or I think they owed me some money, but they were going to turn it around saying, I owed them money, and so that's kind of how they did that deal. Looking back, was there, like in 84, you almost won the 250 outdoor title. 83 was your, your rookie year. 80, 84, you almost won the 250 title. 80, 84, 85, you were on Hondas. Mm-hmm. You were a title contender in 84, 85. Did it start in 86? Was it still going on back then when you were on Hondas? You mean the partying? Yeah, the partying and all that. I mean, was yeah, it? yeah, definitely in '85 I was partying. Okay, for sure. and you still won the title, 125s, and almost won mm-hmm. the Supercross. Yep. So almost the worst thing for it was the fact that you could, you could, you had so much talent that you could go out there and almost win. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it definitely was in '86. I mean '85. I believe that if I wasn't messing around, I mean the three or four points that I didn't have at the end of the year in Supercross. I you know, I threw about thirty in the trash can by just making stupid little mistakes in that you know that eighty five season and for it to come down to three points I look back and just go oh my god you know there was a race after race where I would it was kind of a thing where I would like I just wanted to beat them so bad and by so far and I didn't have the the thinking wasn't stay up get points and I just couldn't think of the whole series it was more like man I know I'm so much faster than you guys that I'm just gonna lay it on you but then I would make a mistake you know I was wasn't super you know clear mm-hmm. but I was fast and I would you know I'd hit something or do something stupid and make a mistake and fall down and I'd you know points yeah. in the trash I know you told me one time too that losing the Supercross title wasn't that big of a deal because the national 125 national title is what you always dreamed of yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, I never didn't really set my goals. I guess I should have set my goals. I mean, I always wanted to win it, but it was yeah. a lot harder to win the Supercross title than, and it was longer, and you know, and I don't know, just yeah, I never really put my mind to it. It was hard to like do national than Supercross, the national and Supercross. It was all intermixed, you know. Yeah, you guys had definitely a crazy schedule. I I, I don't envy the mechanics back then, looking at the old schedules, how they went. Back yeah. and forth across the country and, and supercross to, to uh, motocross. Yeah. In 85, which bike was better, your Honda 125 or your Honda 250? Man, they both were just <laughs> a 
couple of the best bikes I've ever rode on. I'd probably have to say the the Supercross bike. I mean, that bike was just one of the baddest bikes I ever rode in my life. I mean, that thing, and even the 500. I mean, I rode the 500 U.S. Grand Prix that year, and that oh, bike that's right. was, that thing was just insane. You were leading, and you cartwheeled down the hill. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another... <laughs> Perfect example. I was gonna. I mean, how, do you see how big a lead I had? Oh, you, you were number sixteen, I think, and you were yeah. gone. And it's just right then. I mean, you could have all right turned this thing down about three notches, and I got this in the bag. But that wasn't. You know, I, my thinking was, man, I'm gonna. I remember Bailey saying something about it, like, man, I went by him in practice or something. And he's like, man, if that's how fast I gotta go to win this race, I'm getting second. You know? Did you make it out for the other moto or no? No, I actually got I hurt. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I packed it in and. <laughs> Well, Carlsbad has such a forgiving surface. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I had, I had a pretty good cherry on my elbow, and yeah, and I had a buddy over from Arizona that was one of my partying buddies, and we rolled out of there for after the first moto and went and did our thing. Oh, the stories are about you are legendary about not training, and about how you wouldn't you wouldn't train, you wouldn't put the effort in, and everybody else back then. I mean, O'Mara, Wardy, Bailey, they, it was more about triathlons almost, and what what those guys did. Did you really not train? I mean, what did you do for training? I would say the most training I did was on the bike training, but then I would do like crossover stuff. I mean, I was I jet skied every single day. You know, I didn't run. I didn't lift weights. Ever? But like I played a, ever. You know, I was playing tennis. I was riding jet skis. I was doing any, stuff that was fun to do and still be activity. You know, mm -hmm. but yeah, going to the gym and no, I, I mean, wasn't doing that ever. Like. I, mean, I wouldn't say ever. I mean, <laughs> earlier in my career, I kind of we used to go and do aerobics when Fowler lived with me, and you know, and, and you know, but I would, yeah, pretty much never. <laughs> okay, all right, yeah, but <laughs> uh, but but jet skiing. I mean, that I mean, stuff, that stuff all it, it works you a little bit, anyways. Oh man, stand up jet ski will yeah. kill you. I sure. mean, to me, it was like a whoop section the whole track. I mean, mm -hmm. it was constantly changing, and you know, it was tough because I race skis. You know, I made it to expert ski, and and uh, it was one of the hardest things I ever did. It was it's it's like riding a washing machine out there. I didn't you know? know that you actually like raced and got up. There? Yeah, oh. yeah, I won a like a like a regional national event in a in an expert class, and I actually won my first ever jet ski race was a national event. It was novice, but I won the novice slalom at the very first national I ever went to. Oh wow! So Who yeah, knew? I was totally into skiing, and like the you know in the mid like starting in about eighty. Seven until you know all the way through the nineties. I mean, it was all about jet skiing. Good thing, Cowie. Good thing you rode for Cowie back then too. Yeah, <laughs> I bought my first two skis off of Wardy. So, hey, did you ever have any uh, any teammates that you didn't get along with over the years? Not really. You know, everything was cool at Yamaha my first year. You know, I was kind of just coming in, and you know, the the kind of you know green puppy and. You know, I was still, you know, shit, I've, I was a fan myself of all the guys that I ended up racing with and being teammates with. So, you know, like I said, all the guys at at, uh, at Yamaha we got along really well with. I kind of always had a little, I mean, I guess with RJ, you know, we had a little kind of riff going because of races that I'd we'd done previous to turning pro. That And he, I think he was a little jealous of me, and so we didn't always get along great. I can't think of any that I ever really had a tiff with or anything like that. When I was at Honda, the guys, everybody was kind of on their own at Honda. You know, everybody had their own little box van, and, you know, there was it was a lot more, um, God, the pressure at Honda was a lot more, I think, than anywhere else that I was, more of an atmosphere of, like, we got to win, you know, at our own cost. And, and, you know, me and Chris were kind of like teammates. You know, we'd go do our thing together, and although sometimes we would be where, you know, we'd test at the Honda track or we'd meet where the Honda guys were, you know, I really wasn't, you know, David and Johnny were buddied up, and, and they were always doing their thing, and Hannah, you know, he was out doing his thing. He wasn't real approachable. And, do you have any Hannah stories from that year? You know, I really don't. I never no. got into it with Bob too much, um, you know, not like Bowen or anything, and like I said, by the end of 85, you know, when he, he was, that was about the end of it in 85 for him, 86, once he got on them Suzuki's and started getting scared to do the doubles and yeah. all that stuff, he, it was about the end of that. Now, I'm thinking that was 86 when, is that is the year he quit yeah. there at 86 at the Coliseum when he didn't yeah. want to do the triple? Oh, there was a quad. There was a quad, 86, and he put his hand up. And yeah, just went double-double. <laughs> did you say he ran off the track and got in all the, the squirrely <laughs> yeah. stuff and crashed? And 
Yeah, it was a bad. He was raising a bunch of hell about that. And I think he was just kind of done with trying to even jump the stuff we were jumping. Now, the El Cajon zone down there in uh, San Diego is pretty legendary for all the riders that it's turned out, and it's still turning out guys, um, you know, in the last few years as well. Now, of all the guys that you got along, I mean, did you guys literally, everybody lived down there? You all rode the same practice tracks? I mean, was it? Was it that? Yeah, it kind of was. I mean, you know, Brock had his tracks, and you know, he, Marty had his tracks. You know, that in the Marty beginning, Smith, and yeah. they, yeah, Marty Smith, and it would be kind of like that was the track that Marty built, and then everybody, you know, I wouldn't say we'd go there all at the same time, but the track would be known, kind of legendary, that that was the track that he started or that he made, and you know, Brock had his, and I had mine, and everybody kind of had tracks. They were tracks that we usually just built out of the hills. I mean, we didn't bring in tractors and stuff like that we just cut them in with the bikes and then that would be be the track um, imagine if you were just some kid riding around on the hills and you come over a hill and there's a honda's wrong machine yamaha brock glover yamaha ricky johnson all riding at the same track yeah it, we, we had one track there's a guy that has a shop here in el cajon to this day and uh, he was kind of the first one that i don't even think he owned the land he went out there and kind of brought a tractor out there and dug this track it was out it's all houses now out in blossom valley and uh Man, everybody started riding there, and he was adding to the track and putting jumps in and everything, and pretty soon people started testing there. Like, all the Yamaha rigs were really? coming down, and, and everybody everybody's showing up at this track like it was a national track or somewhere that somebody owned. And I think, I don't even think this guy owned the property. Everybody was just coming <laughs> and showing up, and the word was spreading that this was, like, the track to be at. Do you have a favorite racetrack over the years of all the races you've done all over the world? That's a lot of good ones, man. I probably have to say Mammoth, you know, yeah. or Binghamton. I always liked Binghamton. I know a lot of people don't like oh, it. Oh, if Ferry listens to this, he's going to be so mad. He yeah, hates I, I always liked Binghamton and Millville. I really liked Millville. That's probably it. Yeah. All right, I'm going to read you some riders from back in the day, and I want you to, as honest as you can be, because um, I know you get along with all these guys now. Actually, <laughs> do you get along with good with RJ? You guys are all good? Yeah, you we're see pretty each other good. Now. I think, yeah. you know, there there came to a point there at the end of both of our careers when uh, I think we met up in, in Japan one time, and we were always friends. There was just, you know, I'm sure he, you know, he did what he did, and he made it, a, you know, a lot more wins than I ever did, and, you know, thankfully we probably, if it was turned around, we probably wouldn't be friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mean if you had the wins, huh? Yeah, if I had all the wins and he did, and he had what I had, he probably, you know, yeah. we probably wouldn't be friends. But All right. Well, I'm um, going to read you a list of riders from back in the day, and as honest as you can, give me their strengths and weaknesses at when you when they were racing. So, uh, Brock Glover. God, I'd have to say Brock, you know, he was the most of these guys, I'm probably going to say the same thing about him. I mean, Brock prepared really well. You know, he did his homework. You know, he didn't have the fluidest style. But, um, you know, he was there every weekend, and he uh, he was prepared. Weaknesses? Mm, man, I'd have to say maybe if you could get, get some good pressure on Brock that he would sometime make mistakes or, you know, you could get, get, get him to, to make a mistake if you really put some pressure on him. Okay. Wardy? Training. Super <laughs> smart. I was telling Davey the other day, he's probably the, one of the smartest racers that I ever rode with. I mean, he just had an overall view of... You know, what needed to be done to win the championship, to win the race, and, you know, he could wait. You know, he he wouldn't, uh, unlike me, and go out there and try to win the race in two or three laps. He would, you know, sit back and let the race come to him. Weaknesses on Wardy, I have to say, maybe a size. You know, he just was super small, and, and back then, you know, some of the big jumps, and, you know, I felt like I had a, an advantage over Wardy by, with my size. O'Mara? I'd have to say O'Mara probably strengths, number one, his training regiment. You know, once again, I mean, he was a trainer, and, and he had some natural ability, I think, that uh, along with David, that just, you know, and his style. You know, he was he looked cool. Everything he did was cool. The way he rode the bike looked cool. A lot of stuff about him was cool, and, and that's somebody that you wanted to, wanted to look like, you wanted to ride like, you know. Weakness on O'Mara, man. Well, I can't really find a weakness. I'd have to switch to switching to Suzuki. <laughs> What's yeah? Switching switch switch teams, getting off the works on this maybe. I mean, he was he was tough, man. I don't. He would uh, he wouldn't give up, and and there wasn't you couldn't really pressure Osho that much into making any mistakes. He was pretty solid. 
Yeah, I always think back. I'd love to see, and, I, and I've never seen any footage from the 83 Nationals. You, O'Mara, Wardy, and Barnett all going oh. at it every week. Um, yeah, I have some. I have some really? footage of that. Yeah, and, I, and one of one of the best tapes I ever had was uh, oh, what was it? It was uh, God. Me and Barnett just went. It was that race. Uh, it was at Millville in '83, and it was oh, that Wrangler. Yeah, dash. You, you cost him the uh, Wrangler. Uh, yeah, Grand I won. I won the first moto, but he was like on me the whole thing, and then the second moto, we got out together, and and I mean, I'm telling you, we went. I think we lapped O'Mara on the last lap, and he was in fourth. And he actually, like, I don't know what Johnny was doing, but we were coming around to lap him, and it was probably two turns before the finish, and I seen him, and I and Barney was on my ass. He'd been ramming me. We'd been going back and forth. And uh, Johnny just happened, like, I turned down this little hill, and I'm coming to the finish line turn, and, and he just, like, looked over and turned right into me. I don't know. I really, to this day, don't know what he was doing, but we collided, and he kind of rode up the side of my bike, and, and I just kept it pinned, and I got into the last turn, and Barney just rammed me, knocked me out of the rut, and I just pinned it, just all Jeez. everything I do and got across the finish line you know, ahead of him, and that was like one of the hardest races I ever rode my whole life. What an epic what an epic season, you know, all four of you Legends guys going at it. So Yeah, actually, Saddleback was a really cool race that year because they had that triple step-up jump. Oh, and, Suicide um, Mountain or something? No, well, oh, Suicide okay. Mountain was the start. Like, oh. you'd go up the start, and they'd only run Suicide, like, for the AMA National, and it was about 40 yards up past the first turn, and then it was this, like, sheer face downhill drop-off that they would run for the National. But oh, okay. um, I forget what they call the, the – it was like this the ledge or something they called it. It was like a three-way step-up road mm. jump kind of deal. They had it in 83 and then 84. In 84, we were jumping it. I don't know that in 83, I have some photos of it in 83, and I don't think we were jumping it. Yeah, that was some definite battles that year in, in 83. All right, what about Barnett's strengths and weaknesses? Strengths, obviously, training. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was just a bulldog, man. Barney was like the toughest nail-biter. When I first started, he was the guy. I was like, man, he, he was the guy. He was the Supercross champ. He was outdoor, you know, three-time 125. And weaknesses, I'd probably say once again, maybe his size. I mean, that's the only thing I could really think of. I mean, he still won, you know, a Supercross title and everything. But to me, those short guys, I mean, when you get into big whoops, even outdoor big whoops, you know, I, I would have to say that his, you know, his fitness and everything just took over from any kind of weakness he he has. At the uh, when they did the Yamaha Race of Champions, me and Barney just hit it off, and I never ever really. You know, I mean, we were freaking competitors. I'd never go over and talk to him, and we just, I don't even know if I ever really talked to him when I raced through my career. And then when we did that Yamaha Race of Champions, we just hit it off. Man, we had all this stuff to talk about. And, you know, it, it was like, I was like, man, after that day, after that race, I'm like, man, he's cool, man. I've never, I just felt good about, you know, connecting with him and talking with him and finding out stuff about him that I, I just never knew. Must have been pretty cool, too, when you first started beating him, like in 83. You were like, whoa, jeez. Yeah, I don't know that it really ever sunk in, you know what I mean? It came so easy for me that I didn't, I mean, I, obviously I knew it, knew it was a big thing and everything, but it was like, um, yeah, I mean, I looked up to all those guys so much before I turned pro, but you kind of have to put on that face like, you know, shit either, you know? how I was. I mean, I was like, you know, they were my heroes and they were guys, but I wasn't going to be like, hey, hey, dude, you know, this and that. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm better than you, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're uh, you're definitely known for your stylish riding style and your your gear at the time was always the, the sweetest looking stuff out there. Do you have any sort of favorite JT motif that you uh, wore? Yeah, probably the Dalmatian stuff, I think, probably is what, you know, I mean, obviously my stuff in, in the in the early 80s was all cool stuff but that was stuff that everybody kind of shared you know there's a lot of times in 84 and 85 that people couldn't tell me and david apart because our gear was exactly like and our style looked pretty similar and you know even my mom would have trouble you know she would oh, think that was me or he was me and even pictures i remember pictures in magazines coming out saying you know ron lachine and it was a picture of david bailey you know yeah and uh so I'd have to say the Dalmatian stuff, all those, you know, the earlier Honda stuff and everything. I mean, that was kind of my signature thing and sold well for JT. And I just think the whole ad campaign with the dogs and then, you know, me kind of the dogger name and everything. I just think it all kind of worked pretty cool. tied in together. Now, getting back to uh, or talking about today's riders, 
Has anybody ever approached you or have you ever crossed your mind about being, uh, you know, a rider coach or a rider mentor or, you know, you see a lot of the old guys coming back and helping out. Is that something that's even come uh, into your mind at all? Yeah, I mean, I've been approached before and, and, you know, I mean, I guess what I'd have to bring to the table would be my experience and, and stuff like that. But, you know, today's today's guys, it seems like the most thing they need is what I needed the most, and that's a training schedule and a, you know, and a diet schedule and stuff like that. And obviously that's not my strong point. <laughs> so I just kind of, you know, and I've done some motocross schools and stuff before, but it just doesn't, It's not, it's just not my bag. I think you could offer these guys a lot. I mean, especially, I mean, we all know which kids of today's riders are maybe not doing the work they need to do that maybe have the talent or are having some problems. I can think of a couple that come right to mind. Um, <laughs> you know, is, is that, you ever I can think walk... of one, but he, he redeemed himself a little bit this weekend. So bad. Yeah, a little bit, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, you ever a little think about, bit. Think, think about going up to those guys and just being like, hey, listen, man. You, you, you know, I actually did, speaking of the guy that we're kind of undercover talking about, and I did, and, you know, I didn't get very far with it, and I was like, eh. and I kind of look back to, I mean, Weiner used to come up to me, and he would tell me about how he used to party, and, you know, and that yeah. I should do this and that, and it's just, all I can think of is that, you know, and until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead, you know, a dead horse, I mean, it's like, you know, and I know from, from you know, personal experience, I mean, I... People, you know, going back to what you said before, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Dude, look at this. Look at what you have, you know. And part of it was the thing, like I said, that I didn't I didn't want to go, oh, yeah, look at what I have. And, and I couldn't take it super seriously because that wasn't my style either. I have a good time and just fly by the seat of my pants. And if I, the times that I would really, like, concentrate on it and make a big deal out of it in my head and really, you know, then I, it would ruin me. I wouldn't do good. I was thinking about it too much, and then I get nervous, and I, you know, I just overthink it. And if I just kind of take it like, like I said, like fly the seat of my pants, roll in, do whatever, and just come to the track, and just, and then once I got there, do what I knew how to do best, and, and that's ride. It worked out that way. Worked out the best for me. No, and getting getting back to that Ross Maeda interview, we talked about you again, and he said, you know, everybody says, what if you would have trained? What if you would have done this? And, and Ross's theory was that you wouldn't have done any better. You were who you were because of, of the way you wanted to be and yeah. the way you wrote it. And, and structuring a training program for you wouldn't have done anything. Yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure it would have either. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, there was definitely times when, I, when people got me talked into it. You know, and like I was telling you earlier that maybe Turner at the end of 86, you know, he came down and we probably the first time I've ever rode a road bike for 30 miles. I mean, we set out a road track on, on, on bikes and this is what you need to do and, you know, this and that. And, you know, I think I did it that one day that he was with me. And, uh, and that was about the end of that. And there was days or weeks that I was like, all right, I'm going to train. I'm going to, or I'm, you know, I'm going to go ride and I'm going to try not, and, you know, I'm going to sleep and do all the things right. And then I go to the race and I get my ass kicked, you know, and the next week I go, fuck, that didn't work with party and have a good time and everything. I go to the race and I'd win. <laughs> it's I go, well, hard to argue with the results, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like now what do I do? You yeah. Know? Well, I saw a picture of you in motocross action one time jogging, like you were wearing uh, JT sunglasses, mm-hmm. and uh, you were jogging, so I don't know if that was photoshopped or not, or, well, but somebody took a picture of you jogging one it time. It might have been for the catalog or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just go run around, we're going to put this in the catalog. I mean, there was times that I did. I mean, I was famous for, like, telling my dad, you know, yeah, I, my dad put a lot of pressure on me when I was young, and when I turned pro, he was... You know, the first thing he would say when he got home from work is like, did you train today? Did you run? You know, and I kind of started taking offense to that. And it was like, you pushing me. And not that I liked running anyway, but then him trying to cram it down my throat made me just not want to do it that much more. And so, you yeah. know, I'd sprint down to the end of the street and go down to the school and back and whatever. And then, you know, sprint home and put some water on my face. and <laughs> call, call it a good. Yeah, man, that was a rough run, but... Do you see any of yourself in today's riders, off-track stuff, uh, on-track riding style, sort of anything? Do you see yourself at all in today's riders? I mean, there's some of them that I see and stuff that I hear that I could maybe say that that's similar to what I was or similar to something that I did, but mm-hmm. I, I don't really see anybody that's, you know, yeah. obviously nobody's going to be as the dogger, but 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see and hear some stuff that's similar to stuff that I did. But yeah. you know, I, And as far as riding style, I, I've watched you a ton on tape. I don't see anybody out there that rides like you. Wyndham, people say Wyndham, but, you know, even still, Wyndham doesn't have the style that you did. I don't think it's as good. I, I, I agree. Wyndham's probably one of the closest ones. I watch Kevin, and, and, and I like his style and everything, but, yeah, I agree. It's not definitely not exact, now, uh, which is hard. I mean, nobody's going to be, you know. I mean, you can't think of two people in, ever in motocross that are going to have the exact same style. It's just that's what's kind of cool about it is everybody, you know, develops their own style and goes with it. And then when you turn pro and good thing, you know, like Dungey. I mean, I think Dungey's got like a cool style right yeah. now. Dungy elbows up, his style yeah, is I mean, really good. Yeah, I mean, he just looks good on the bike, he flows, he looks aggressive, and everything about what he's doing, I'm like, man, it looks really good. And Johnny's training him. I spoke with Johnny at Phoenix, I said, hey, I know you're back on the scene training. I'm like, what do you think about me? You want to take me on? I said, what, what do you suggest? He's like, he looks at me and he's like, you need to eat less. <laughs> I'm like, nice, nice. I'm one of Omera's clients. Uh, yeah, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> now, so today, catching up to today, 2008, you own Maxima? You own part of Maxima, I guess? Yeah, I'm a part owner. I'm an original uh, stockholder. Okay. Uh, I bought into the company in 84. Obviously, my dad started the company in 79 uh, when I was racing, you know, uh, YZ80s and racing for Yamaha. And he had an extensive, you know, background in, in motors. And then he had a partner who was... Uh, chemist and just a, an all-around really brilliant guy. They are the ones that originally started the company, and then I bought in in 84. So I've been a, a major stockholder in Maxima since then, and um, when it was time to get my shit together and, and get a life and, yep. you know, <laughs> come back to reality, I started here in 99 and, and just kind of worked my way up. I, you know, I didn't know how to work. I didn't know. That's kind of weird. You're like an owner, but yet... You know, you started at the bottom of at Maxima, at the place you own. Yeah, well, I think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm my dad's a smart, smart guy, and I and I think he had the overall view of how this thing needed to play out, and that's you know, I needed help at that time. You know, I had yep. never worked. You know, everything had been given to me, and you know, I think he really saw that. You know, there's he had to kind of mold this thing, and he knew I had it in me to to accomplish what I've accomplished, but it, it wasn't going to happen, you know, overnight. Yeah, exactly. And you're in charge of rider support right now. Yeah. And man, I, I bet you there's kids that call you out for oil that have no idea who you are. <laughs> That's hilarious. That I'm sure there is. I mean, it's when you think back, I mean, you know, 89, basically my last yeah. year of some of these guys. I mean, they're all, you know, they're born in 95 and, you know, 98. Yeah. That bums me out. <laughs> <laughs> me too, a little bit. But, you know, it's super cool to be involved with the sport and to yep. be, you know, and to, I mean, I, I like working with the riders, you know. I like, you know, getting what they need and hearing the feedback and, and hearing that, you know, the product's working for them. And you now it's kind of a dream job, you know. Like yeah. I said, I didn't, I wouldn't have seen myself here when I started. You know, I was content. It just took a while for the ball to keep get rolling. And, you know, everything has just kind of come together in a, well, in good, a really good, good way, and I, I, I really do think my dad had something to do with that, you know, in his thinking originally, you know, because he retired, you know, two years ago. And it just everything kind of just has fallen into place. And, uh, how much, uh, how much do you get out today and ride? I try to ride at least once a week. Mm -hmm. I was a, a pretty fair-weathered rider in the last few years. I would normally ride in the winter and then, then break out the jet skis and, and ski through the summer and then, you know, come back to riding during the winter. But lately I've been just, uh, this last year I went all the way through summer and, and rode a lot. And I did some races. I did some vintage stuff with the Arma. And I did a really fun race back in Ohio, which that Arma World Championship race back there. And yeah, I want to know how that race didn't get covered by anybody. You know, they were there. Uh, you know, you they had like a it. Legends Race of Champions thing. And um, I know that RJ had his crew there with Huffman and Epic Ride. And I know they were filming it. I know that because Rick was cutting the track and he had to win to because <laughs> it was on TV. <laughs> Just like old times. Yeah. There was a big blow up about that. No. I was pissed, but whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, some things never change, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, man, if you're going to beat me, you got to at least beat me heads up. You're going to just pull around me off the track somewhere. I was pretty livid. What kind of gear do you wear? I wear Troy Lee gear and one helmets. One helmets. And yeah. Garnet boots. Let me guess, you wear the dog, dog or replica helmet? Yeah, I have been running that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of that, and... 
I was super stoked at Mark and Ludo and, you know, Dobie that they, you know, they came to me. I mean, I wore Troy's helmets for a long time, and they're awesome helmets. And, he, you know, I gave him every chance there was to do something like that, a Legends helmet for me or a tribute. And, and uh, you know, Mark and Ludo came to me with that idea, and I went to Troy and, and let him know that, that we were going to do that. And, he's you know, he didn't have a problem with it. I'm super pumped with the helmet, and, I mean, I can't count how many I signed for Christmas presents. That's what I was going to ask. Do you sign a lot of them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this year at Christmas, I mean, it was like, you know, and a lot of guys, you know, that's what they want for Christmas. They want, you know, even have a letter that somebody sent into one, you know, and then they forward it over to me, and it's like, you know, that how cool it was. And that, as soon as they saw it, it brought them back to, you know, the, the 80s. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked with the helmet. It's got to be good to see a letter like that, too, and, and, and read that, you know, after all you've been through, ups and downs. Yeah, you know. and I look through Cycle News, and I'm, I got a little thing here on my wallet. Just, I mean, people I don't even know that are, you know, getting in, getting published, that are running it, and yep. you know, I'm sure they know where, it, who, whose it was, and where it came from. Well, cool. And then I can't think of a better thing than for Live Nation to honor all of you guys this weekend. I'm super pumped just to to be there, and uh, I think it's great that they're recognizing all you guys because, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of the '80s motocross for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we all yeah. grew up on it, so. Yeah, I'm stoked to, that they are too. I mean, I, I hope that it'll be a something that the fans can get something out of, and the riders. I mean, it always feels good to get recognized for stuff that you've done in the past. And one time years ago, Coombs told me that you told Bailey the best thing about being a factory rider was just getting dressed. <laughs> so, hey, we'll put on some of those cool clothes back in the day. I was pretty, pretty. Uh, you know, I like my stuff to be perfect, man, meticulous. Yeah, and the stickers and just everything. I mean, I always was kind of a sticker guy anyway. I mean, that's where I kind of started from. I used to write sticker companies. Any company that had a, uh, an address in the magazine, you know, Dirt Bike or whatever right. back in the day, I'd send them, hey, I'm Ron Lachine, I use your products, can you send me stickers? And, you know, I even got in trouble in sixth grade for selling my stickers at uh, <laughs> recess. The beginning, the beginning of it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bring my big box of stickers out onto the table of the picnic bench and open that thing up, and I'd get everybody's lunch money. And after recess, the teacher called me up to the front. I'm being, I've probably got twenty bucks and change in <laughs> my pockets, and ching, ching, ching. I come walking up in the back of the line, and she's like, "You can't be selling your stickers. You're, the parents are complaining that you're taking all the kids' lunch money." Classic. Classic. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. I, uh, yeah. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. I, I dig it. I'm glad that we've we've come up with a relationship too, man. You're a cool guy. I read your stuff and you know, and it inspires me and glad to glad to know you and get to know you. Great. Thanks, Ronnie. All right, man. All right, see ya. See ya. Bye. There it is, the Ron Machine interview. Forty five minutes of nothing but pure gold, if you ask me. Really got to me too when he was talking about the observations column. Thanks for listening. This is the Racer X Canada podcast show brought to you by shiftracing.ca. Shift appreciates it. Mathis appreciates it. Racer X Canada appreciate it. I just referred to myself in the third person. Did you catch when Dogger did that too? That's that's uh, sweet. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.